We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. No, 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 Chris, welcome. It's the bye week. Welcome to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. It's the bye week, and I'm your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear, and that's my producer, Chris Kruger. Should I disconnect everything <laughs> right now? We'll take up, take everything upstairs, outside. I'll put a fire out in a fire pit. We'll burn it? No. We just legitimately have a fire because that's what it sounded like. <laughs> you sounded like one of those people that that wears like uh, like one of my uh, cardigans. I sounded like Andrew. Yeah, you sounded as an Andrew. Th- like, that was an Andrew opening. Yeah, where you you have your have a cardigan on and you're standing in front of a fire with a pipe. It's funny that you guys all joke about this, guys. So here at the Rockpile Report, between, uh, <clears throat> I think Nate Geary actually started it, and now it's infected all of my group chats and everything else. Yeah, Andrew. Basically, everyone likes to compare how Drew used to eat Reaper chicken wings, and now Andrew uh, has kids and goes to bed at 9 o'clock at night. And <clears throat> the Andrew comparisons, that wasn't Andrew opening, but you know why? Because this is an Andrew week. It's the bye week, baby. And we're here... Talking about spies on the sidelines and modern NFL conspiracies with author Kevin Bryant. Now, Chris, the bye week is here, and we have nothing to preview. Nothing. So don't get mad at me. Everyone's like, oh, how come you're not fired? Because there's nothing. What is there to get excited for? We can review how your movement went (laughs) Uh, where you didn't call me to help. No, of course not. I think we talked about this off-air with Christian Simonelli. So, Chris... I moved on a Wednesday. A Wednesday, which yep. is, a, first of all, that's a dickhead day to be moving in the first place. I wake up at noon. Yes, you also work until, seven. what, 6 a.m.? You get home at 7? I get home at, like, 7.30 on Wednesday morning, and okay. I take a nap until, like, 12.15. Okay, I picked up the U-Haul. I picked up the U-Haul approximately 45 minutes after you fell asleep. Not even. I think all I right. picked it up by 8.30. So I wasn't going to ask, and I ran this by Simonelli. I go, listen, there's there's being a control freak, which I've admitted I am. And then there's not wanting to be a jerk and ask your friend who's running on no sleep to come help you lift heavy objects that he didn't, he doesn't own, that he didn't choose for you to buy. Four hours of quality sleep. I was ready. (laughs) Well, but you also probably didn't want me to scare your neighbors coming over and helping you move with my shirt off. (laughs) Shirt off that hair, me and you moving in together. They would absolutely start to question all kinds of things. I'm sure Larissa was around. Yeah, ish. Yeah. 
I mean, what fine. with the shirtlessness, the hair. It would have been fine. The sweat, me making gorilla sounds in the garage out of frustration. Yeah, no, it was a big deal. The move went well. I'm still unpacking. I guess that's the question is, what do we do with a bi-week weekend? I mean, I'm still going to be, I'm still unpacking. I'm still settling my household. Uh, probably going to be going, <laughs> probably going to be going to a pumpkin farm with the kids. With all due respect, and remember, I'm saying with all due respect, that idea ain't worth a velvet painting of a whale and a dolphin getting it on. Make sure you get your pumpkin beer for this. Oh, my God. Pumpkin uh, beer is terrible. Yeah, if, if you want to go to, um, say, if you want to go to, like, Marshall, if you want me to go with, to Marshall's with you so you can get a nice <laughs> fall outfit. So Andrew can get a nice fall yeah, outfit? because Marshall's seems to be right up your alley. <sighs> First of all, I don't think it'll be that bad. Probably. I mean, I actually kind of like doing this every year with my wife, going to the uh, Great Pumpkin Farm. Although, I find that the more kids we add into the equation, the more I want a beer. Which, luckily, that place sells plenty of. So maybe it won't be so bad. What about you? What are you doing with your bow, with your bye weekend? Working. (laughs) I'm, my... My, Sorry, I didn't mean to snicker, but my Friday is <laughs> my Friday is right now. It's Wednesday night. We're podcasting. I don't. We're getting a new stove tomorrow. Oh boy, you know Delivered. who you sound like. You know who you sound like right now is Will Ferrell in old school. school. <laughs> I don't know if we'll have enough time. Yeah, apparently, apparently on Saturday, Jess was cleaning the oven, and then the left side. The inner knob, just smoke, just started billowing out <laughs> of the knob. So we had to, we had to get a new, a new stove. Now, what's even better is, I think right when I was like moving in, we were kind of planning out the room and the podcast room. You mean? Yeah, the podcast room, and then other stuff that we were doing out in the main room in the basement. And we we're in the laundry room, and there's an outlet in the ceiling. Because that's what I wanted to get done, is to have an outlet in the ceiling where we have our studio lights. And there's this cord coming out of the floor, and it was plugged in. And we're like, what the fuck is this? Now, mind you, how long has your girlfriend owned this house before this point? Three years. Okay. So she's just now noticing that there's a cord from the ceiling plugged into it. I think she knew it was there. She knew it was there, but didn't... Never questioned it? Never questioned it, and we're like... Well, we, I'm like, well, we got to be under the kitchen, under the kitchen. And she's like, is that for the stove? <laughs> and I go, well, I go, I don't know. Let's find out. And I unplugged it. And then she went upstairs and she came back downstairs and was like, yeah, it's for the stove. The clock is off on the stove. So it's probably the stove. So smoke's coming out of the uh, knob, one of the knobs on the stove. So sh- sure as shit, she knows to run down here and unplug it before she the kitchen catches on fire. You guys, it was like it was apparently it was bad enough to where she had opened the windows and the doors. <laughs> so, so oven fire McGee over here has to spend his weekend getting a new stove and working. Wow, sounds like you're having a blast. Yeah, Woo. yeah. We went, pumpkin farm for the win, guys. Working or taking two children under the age of two, well, under the age of three, to a pumpkin farm. Tweet at us, at Rockpile Report. Let us know what you'd rather be doing. And also, Chris, question. Since we're going to a pumpkin farm, do you guys carve pumpkins? We did last year. Well, probably, I don't, I have not been summoned to <laughs> so that carve it works? A, you don't, you're not going to do it unless they summon you to do it? Yeah, if like Jess, if Jessica puts, Otherwise like, you'll just be living down here in the basement? Yeah, yeah, I'm busy. It's a podcast. I gotta do something for the podcast. Usually, what usually what it is, but I mean, I wouldn't. I'm not. I'm for carving a pumpkin if uh, need be. I mean, she doesn't like what I carve into it, but <clears throat> I'm a sucker for the pumpkin seeds. See, that's the thing. I hate carving the pumpkin, but man, do I love them seeds. So what you're telling me is that you want me to make you a pumpkin syrup. If you make a syrup, like, if you do this, I will, Brother Bill's videos of him punting things he doesn't like, I will punt that thing through your neighbor's picture window. Stand up and grab that. Right there, speaking of syrups, because you bought a house. 
I did buy a house. There is your. That's your. That's did your, you buy me liquor? Yeah, that's your housewarming gift. Boondocks cask strength American whiskey, one hundred and eighteen proof. Yeah. Wow. They didn't have blue note. That was the closest thing to in proof. <laughs> if you had gotten blown, if you had gotten blue note, you can't get it up here. No, this whole podcast would have melted down. My yeah. house would be burned down in two weeks because I would have had a blue note night. I yeah. just would have done it's it. It's 118 proof. God. So, God, I can't wait to break into this. Thank you, Chris. Look at yeah. this. See, look at this. Well, look, I, at, look at us. Did you, you ever think that we would be here? You and me. Sure, and housewarming gifts. And well, get today we'll get this today. Mm-hmm. This happened today. I I came downstairs to kind of get prep for recording tonight, and I went into the refrigerator. Out, we have a, a basement refrigerator. And I went out and I got a Montucky and I opened it, and I looked in the refrigerator and I was like. I know I'm also going to have to move these into the mini fridge that's under your table. And I counted it, and I was like, oh, there's 12 here. And then I came into the podcast studio, and I opened the refrigerator, and I'm like, there's like 17 beers in here. I don't think that's enough. <laughs> so I had to go to Premier, <laughs> Premier on Maple to get a 30-pack of Montucky. And I was like, well, Drew just moved. I'll just walk over to the liquor store here on May, Premier Maple and uh, find something. See, folks, what you have to do is you have to get somebody in your life who loves you the way Chris Krueger loves me. He puts up with me every week, even though he hates me. Buys me housewarming gifts, even though he'd like to see that house burned down with me inside of it alone. My wife and children would get a fat life insurance check and find a nicer house, and everyone would walk away happy. Well, Southern Tier, you know Southern Tier makes a pumpkin whiskey? That would probably go great with a pumpkin, uh, a pumpkin syrup. God, you can fire all for of a, it. Fi- fire it all into the sun. For a nice fall, old-fashioned. So now we're here with the bye week, and we get to have an, an, the opportunity to have a conversation that I've been trying to line up since the off-season with a guest who I find really interesting. In this week's recap, we uh, the Bills-Chiefs game, we discussed how it certainly felt... For a period of time, like the NFL officials were almost acting against the Bills. And people will probably tell you that you're being crazy for saying things like that. You know, you, you, which leads me to wish terrible things on Brad Allen and his, maybe his friends. I, I don't know. But either way, everyone's going to tell you you're crazy. They're going to go, your team just lost. It doesn't matter. Like, your team was bad today, and that's why you didn't win the football game. And then every now and again... Something comes along, be it the Stephen Ross camp, like the tampering scandal. Chris, everyone goes, no, no, no. There's nothing shady going beyond going on behind the, her- the curtain. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the Dolphins are being fined a draft pick and Stephen Ross isn't allowed anywhere near his franchise because it's obvious that there was some gross misconduct going on below boards. That type of stuff does nothing but fuel our sense of fan paranoia. But is it really paranoia if there's merit to it? The NFL is a $17 billion industry. And if you factor in I don't know, all the ancillary revenue streams that it creates in terms of marketing and licensing and other advertising, I don't know, it, it has the potential to be three, four, five times larger than that. You're talking about this gigantic industry that encompasses thousands of companies, not just the 32 NFL football teams. And these teams are run by billionaires who have both egos and significant financial appetites. And if you don't believe me about that, remember the time Jerry Jones, Jerry Jones, submarined Chargers owner Dean Spanos and his expansion to L.A., he literally backdoored him by swinging all the relocation votes to owner uh, owner of the Rams, Stan Kroenke, simply because Spanos wouldn't give all of his vendor contracts to Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones was like, well, if I can't wet my beak, (laughs) I'll pull off a major coup amongst the owners and pull off... Chris, imagine how different the NFL landscape looks if the Rams are still in St. Louis... Still in St. Louis last year, and it's the Raiders and the Chargers in L.A. 
That'd be that'd be weird. Think about the push that maybe the Chargers would have gotten. Like there was a lot of questionable things down the stretch where everyone goes, man, the the officiating really seemed one sided in the favor of this LA team that's going to play a Super Bowl in its home stadium for the. For- because they're trying to build an L.A. fan base. Mm-hmm. Who knows? It's a, Maybe it's like the WWE. Maybe one of those teams gets put over rather than the Rams. Because right now the Rams certainly don't look like much. Yeah, they look like shit. So, I don't know. It, it, like That happened. And maybe none of that happens if Jerry Jones didn't just submarine a fellow owner. Some of these men, like they're clearly cutthroat. And the thing about the structures that exist exist below the owners, the GMs and the coaches, you're talking about guys who make multi-million dollar salaries, yet whose livelihoods and personal legacies are heavily dependent on wins, whether that's free agent signings, draft acquisitions, or just points on the scoreboard. Wins dictate the careers of these guys. Dictate their paychecks, dictate how they're viewed around the league, dictate how people will remember them. And then you factor in the concept that as a business, the NFL, structured the way that it is and bound by its own laws of internal arbitration, is basically a company where accusations that are (laughs) aligned with corporate espionage and tampering, whether they're founded or unfounded, by and large, can't end up being prosecuted in the court of law. So there's no legal ramifications if you cheat in NFL business. It all just gets handled in-house, and nobody goes to jail. Nobody gets sued for millions of dollars. If you cheat in the game of football, nothing actually happens to you. If there's punishments to be borne out, you suffer them in the future. (laughs) You're not worried about that. And you're not going to prison, so what does it matter? Folks, that's a perfect breeding breeding ground for gamesmanship and bending, if not outright breaking of the rules in order to gain a competitive advantage. And so tonight, we're speaking with someone who's not just an expert on the topic, but who is well-versed, maybe in this, (laughs) as anybody you'll ever talk to, in terms of cheating and bending of the rules and breaking of the rules as it's occurred throughout NFL history. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so tonight... We're talking to someone who's not just an expert on the topic of chicanery, shadiness, <laughs> flat out uh, improprieties around the NFL, but who's well versed in it, maybe better than anyone I've ever heard of, as it's occurred throughout NFL history. We bring to the show tonight Mr. Kevin Bryant. Kevin, how are you doing tonight? Great. Thanks, Drew. Appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you coming. For those of you listening at home, Kevin is a Denver Broncos fan. (laughs) He's a Denver Broncos fan, former Department of Defense military intelligence officer, special agent with over 20 years of experience safeguarding information and conducting his own security information security investigations. He holds degrees in intelligence studies and sports management, and he's the author of the new book Spies on the Sidelines, which is a history of NFL espionage and counterintelligence activity. 
and it gives a deep dive into some of the league's most famous scandals, including some of the Patriots' <laughs> missteps, which obviously Bills fans everywhere love, if you're petty like we are. It's available both in hard copy and electronic format. It was released back in July. I love it. Kevin, first and foremost, I want to apologize sincerely. No one ever asks to be subjected to Nate Hackett, right? Like, Bills fans know. <laughs> it just kind of happens to... It's almost like being struck by lightning or hit by a car. Like, no, nobody asks for this. It just kind of happens to most people. How's it been coping with your team's tough start this year? Yeah, it's been rough. I think there are a lot of high expectations going into this season. And, you know, the, the coaching job hasn't worked out how we wanted it to. But, uh, obviously, Russell Wilson has not had the start Broncos fans had wanted. And, uh, yeah, it's been a really bumpy ride so far, which really sucks since the Broncos have such a good defense. Well, it's that's it. squandered. You guys are just wasting one of the NFL's better defenses. I, unfortunately, just given the the injury situation with Russ and the coaching situation with Nate Hackett, I mean, there was talk of the guy just, he was late to a press conference two weeks ago because he was just standing out in the field, just it, kind of almost instilled in disbelief that he lost. I think it was the indie game. So it's like, with that going on, I don't know if things turn around anytime soon, but it is interesting in the scope of tonight's conversation that your love of the Broncos, the sport of football, and just your own professional background was kind of the genesis of this Spies on the Sideline book. Because you had a first row seat as a fan of the Broncos to Spygate 2. And the fallout of it within your own franchise where Josh McDaniels gets hired and all of a sudden gets caught cheating <laughs> using the kind of the same machinations that the Patriots were using. Now, your professional skill set obviously influenced your curiosity on the matter and ultimately led to this research. In terms of what you've done over the course of your career in the intelligence wing of things, is this one of your more ambitious endeavors? I mean, you, like I said, 20 years of intelligence work. Was this maybe the more, maybe not ambitious, but was this the most enjoyable one of your investigations? Well, it was certainly the most enjoyable. It was definitely the longest uh, uh, amount of time I spent on any one single endeavor. You know, I, I spent six years doing the research for this book. Wow. I, I really got it down in the weeds. I mean, the most challenging part about writing this book was no one had ever written on this topic before. So there were articles, you know, in newspapers and magazines you know, there are stories here and there throughout books that had already been published. But if you're looking just for, you know, other than, you know, one book on Spygate. There was anecdotal things out there about instances of cheating, but nobody had ever painted right. the whole picture of, hey, guys, if you want to know how cheating gets done, in the NFL, here's yeah. here's the book. Yeah. The, yeah. The, you, so the hardest part was just finding all these stories, you know, piece from there. I, I was able to use my expertise to start piecing things together to be able to say, oh, you know, if this is going on. I bet that means this over here has to be taking place, too. Mm -hmm. And I would start digging and researching and I know the you know, what are the right terms to look up? And I could start, you know, pursuing it in a, you know, professional fashion in, in, in that manner. So the background you know, having a, you know, master's degree in Intel studies and all that, it definitely came into play and it helped me, but it was still just a chore trying mm -hmm. to track down all these stories. And I can't tell you, I probably read about 60 books or so doing the research for, for spies on the sidelines. And there were times I'd read a whole book and, you know, I'd come away with one paragraph that I'd highlight and be like, yep, this is this one paragraph I want to use for the book, but the rest of this book, it's nothing to me, you know? And I just like kind of throw it in the corner and be like, ah, this sucks. Um, but, but, you know, that was just, that, that was what it took. Well, and that's one of the things where I think that these things, when you think about it by and large, like I'm somebody who holds a degree in journalism, writing a book and th it's hard work. The research, you do an incredible amount of research for such a time. You know, I, we used to put out 500 to 1,000 word articles, but you would do a, a small mountain of research to produce a really high quality thousand word article. So to know that you took this and wrote a whole book, you've done a mountain of research on this one topic. And this is what I love about the idea of cheating at the NFL level. It's easy for a guy like me to sit back and have eight beers on a Sunday and then yell at the TV when my team's not doing well about it. Well, that team's obviously cheating. We're getting screwed. <laughs> and, and by and large, I'm probably wrong. 
I'm just looking for some place to place the blame. But at the same time, there's so many subtle levels from just a general gamesmanship, you know, that's just kind of a brushed with established best practices of the NFL to outright subversion <laughs> that exists out there that a lot of fans might not even be aware of. So that's one of the things I liked about the layout of your book is that you kind of, you do a really good job of giving examples, not just showing like, here's a time a team broke the rules, but you also do a good job of breaking down the types and categories of data collection or the, hey, they broke this ruler. This was the type of intelligence gathering they were pursuing when they did X, Y, and Z. During Spygate, the Patriots used nine different varieties of in- intelligence gathering. And you did a good job of separating those all out, you know, from debriefing players, you know, to collection of open and closed source media. You lay it out really well so that fans can understand that this is a sliding scale of, hey, what's what's in what's clean, what's in the gray area and what's an out and out just (laughs) flaunting of established rules. So just for our listeners. Can you explain to them the difference between permissible, controversial, and impermissible? Because those are three terms you throw around a lot. So, yeah, there's all kinds of crazy uh, collection that goes out the, uh, goes on in the NFL. And, you know, you hit it on the head, Drew. You know, sometimes when you think, hey, uh, how in the world is my team cheating? Or, or how is my team losing, right, to, this, to some team that they're highly favored over? You might think, well, is it possible that the other team is – has some sort of advantage over them. And the, the answer is yes. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's an illicit technique that is not mm-hmm. permitted that they're using, but could they have information on your team that is giving them a huge advantage? Yeah. So I cover all of it in the book, you know, the permissible techniques. So that goes into everything from, you know, something as simple as collecting information from the media. You know, coaches and players let things slip that teams use to their advantage. To debriefing players, mm-hmm. players, the not Patriots, only, the Patriots, right? Chris, <laughs> Chris, how many times have you seen it? The Patriots will sign somebody. The Bills will cut a player after, after the preseason ends, the Patriots yeah. will sign him, keep him for two, three weeks. And then he's back out on the street and you're like, well, wait, did he just give, did he just collect a fat bonus and they, he just gave him part of the playbook? Like, what the yes. hell? <laughs> exactly so it happens all the time and and lots of teams do this right most teams do this to one degree or another now some teams will sign players you know straight off of a practice squad or another team or off the street solely for the purpose of debriefing them that that absolutely happens others will be like if we happen to have a player on our team that was recently a part of the opponent we're about to play Yes, we'll debrief them, but that's as far as we're going to go. So it depends, right? And then you get into some controversial techniques that some teams use that, uh, such as leading, uh, reading lips. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, that's the reason that coaches hold up play sheets over their mouths, right? Because there are professional lip readers that are good enough. And I interviewed one of these guys just to see how good they are. And he was amazing. And yes, you need to be worried about this. That can, that can comprehend, that can make out these, you know, these play calls that are, that make no sense contextually. So, you know, it'll be something like 32 Buffalo sling right Zulu. You know, you can't pick this up by context. You got to be a heck of a lip reader, but some of these guys are so good that they can, they, they can dissect all of this. So, you know, I go into stuff like that you know, the illicit techniques that are used, like headset tampering, yes. uh, which the Patriots are accused of doing. Stuff like putting listening devices in locker rooms. There was a period um, of time where I think it was a single season. I want to say it was back in the late 20-teens, somewhere 2015, 16, 17. There was like three consecutive Patriots home games where the away team complained that their headsets would malfunction in the third and fourth quarters of games. It's like at a, at a certain point, you, know, right. you go, well, it's the Patriots. <laughs> do do we trust that this is just an accident? This is the type of stuff where that starts to become, it's like, well, this is illicit, but also you have to be able to prove it. Right. You do. And so I got really interested in that topic because that's a great example. Okay. So you've got these headsets. They are secured nowadays mm-hmm. by military level encryption. 
everyone's accusing the Patriots of tampering with headsets. But the question becomes, how do you tamper with them, right? And there's all these experts out there that are weighing in and giving these highly technical answers that I'm just like, yeah, that's great, but it's not simple. And Mm -hmm. typically, if you really want to know what's happening with anything in the world, there's typically a simple explanation to it. Occam's razor. Right? Yes. And so (laughs) I got looking into the subject. Now, one of the things the Patriots were accused of doing during the Spygate years was stealing teams' play sheets, going in and actually having people go into the locker rooms during warm-ups and take their play sheets out so they could figure out what are the first 10 or 15 plays that the opponent is plays that an opponent is going to run. And even, you know, looking into hotels for paperwork. And I started thinking, you know what? If the Patriots can steal that. Why can't they just steal the codes? Why can't they steal the passwords <laughs> that's protecting, right? You know that there's so, you know that there's some up. guy out there who wrote it down because he's like, well, I don't want to forget it. I don't right? want game day to get here and I don't want to be able to. So he wrote it down on a piece of paper. Code, headset code. It's it's one, two, three, eight. <laughs> yes. And so some guy walks into his room and just laughs and goes, slam dunk. Yep. <laughs> slam dunk. Exactly. I'm, going, I'm just taking this, writing this down and I'm going home. What I have in the book, I think, is some really good anecdotal evidence that, yeah, there was something really fishy going on there. You know, you get some instances where one team complains about it to the refs. And what's supposed to happen that is if one team's having problems with the headsets, the refs force the other team not to use their headsets as well. Okay. So that happened in one instance where they, they, another opponent had problems for a, quite a while, right? 20, 30 minutes. They bring it up to the ref. They're like, Hey, we can't get our headsets working. Ref goes to walk over to the Patriots. Guess what happens? Starts working again. Yep. Starts working just fine. <laughs> Referee then walks away. Guess yep. what happens? Stops working again. Stops working. <laughs> See, so, this yeah. is the stuff. And, and, and when people go, oh, you're crazy. It's like, well, I don't know if I'm crazy because I think at the top of the show, we kind of laid out. There's a lot of reasons people would cheat. There's a lot of pe- reasons that these guys are incentivized to find and to find any competitive advantage. So your book does a really great job of laying some of these principles out. And so I thought it might be fun just to pick your brain about some of the more recent things that have been going on. Just to provide some context and also find some some corollaries to the stuff you've already written about in your book that, again, make it such an interesting read. Uh, the, recently, the Dolphins walk through tapes, get put on the Internet. Like, this is one of the brashest examples of playbook and signal gathering data I've ever seen. Because usually if a team, if someone's going to collect that kind of information about a, another NFL team, they're going to try to do something with it. I, I don't know if this person... So it makes me think this person wasn't connected to a team, but we don't know. We have no way of knowing. But the Dolphins are forced to fly to Cincinnati because of the weather. They have to do their walkthrough and practice at the University of Cincinnati. While they're doing so, from like a, a building that just happens to have a great vantage point of the field looking right down the hashes, somebody films the entire Dolphins walkthrough and then uploads it to the internet for the entire world to see just 24 hours before kickoff. Whenever you're practicing at an enemy territory, this is a big concern that you have to take steps to deal with. And if you don't, things like this are going to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, this is most commonly a problem in college football where facilities are much harder to secure because they're typically on college campuses yep. with thousands and thousands of students all around and very little control over who can be in that area. But here we have it in the pros. But it also took place on a college campus, which means they couldn't secure the facility. In Cincinnati, when, you know, I think it was at the the University of Cincinnati. At the University of Cincinnati. When they're playing the Cincinnati Bengals coming up. So what most likely you have here is a fan of the Bengals who's taping this material and then puts it out. And it gives it does it give the the Bengals an edge? Yeah, it sure does. If nothing else, it creates a nightmare for the Dolphins. Of, yes. Oh, what do we have out there? What do we need to adjust now? Uh, you know, and oh, they sure. got to look at all this, and it, it creates a ton of distractions. And let's be honest, even if even if Zach Taylor and the Bengals, like even if they're Boy Scouts, and they go, "Hey guys, we're not, not. going to look at that," <laughs> you know, there's somebody on the staff who's like, "I'm going to look at." Yeah. It. 
<laughs> guys, yeah. guys, we need to win this football game. Right. <laughs> We're desperate for a win. I, I'm going to go look at it. Yeah, Drew, I can tell you from um, interviewing coaches, I, I've talked to a few coaches that would be like, I was that guy early on in my career <laughs> who was like, no, I'm not going to look at this, right? But he told me, you know, I've had coaches tell me straight up, the rest of the coaching staff yes. is all huddled around the computer and they're all looking at it and looking at you like you're a weirdo. Like, you know, you, Boy, you don't want to win. You don't want to win. Let's go. Yeah, right. But, exactly. And, and that's the thing. Like, so that tape gets taken and that's one of the way things that can, can be stolen. But you made a point during a recent podcast uh, appearance that I listened to the other day as I was, cause you know, I do my own prep work. You know, I don't like to come in. I like to learn a little bit about my guests before we bring them on. And you made a point about the way modern technology is being used, that it doesn't have to be as rudimentary as just, hey, we stood in a window with a giant telephoto lens and took video of your walkthrough. You were talking about how modern technology like drones and Wi-Fi sniffers, which basically everybody has access to at this point, has made the theft of playbook data and signal information such a huge threat. Drones are a huge threat to teams practicing. If you don't have an indoor practice facility, this should be a huge concern to you because I I spoke to a, one of the world's elite drone experts and he told me that he would be shocked if they're not already being used to spy on NFL practices and that it's basically impossible. If you know what you're doing, you're not going to get caught. Okay. There's too many, it's too difficult to see these things. There's so many different ways that you can mask their location, both physically and electronically. And that is very simple to get great, great quality. And furthermore, he said, you know, uh, the biggest constraint when using a drone is just the lack of flight time that they have, right? The battery life they have. But he said, you know, you can really get around that by just landing these things on a, on a facility, on a rooftop. And then furthermore, if you do, yeah, like you mentioned, you know, using a Wi-Fi sniffer, to figure out, hey, that playbook that the coach is using that he has out there on the field, is it connected to Wi-Fi? Because if it is, with, <laughs> with over-the-shelf program software that anyone can buy, you can download that playbook using software that's on that drone. You can download it, and then you know a team can steal that. The technology today is, has to be a huge concern. And we saw in baseball. There's already been a case where, you know, a, a one team has uh, hacked the password of another team, broke into their draft beta- database, and basically stole all the information that was available on another team's draft. That's a concern for NFL teams. So it gets very, it gets very technical. And, and yet some of them concerned about this. Some of the stories in your book, though, they weren't even that technical. I mean, you, my favorite was the guy who was a lady. A baby carriage and a guy, <laughs> and he's being pushed by a lady, and they're walking past practice taking pictures. Like this is, <laughs> there's some, yeah. there's some really zany stories about how teams go about collecting this. Hey, we need to steal each other's plays. We need to get each other's data, and it really does give you, as a fan, some context to when, like to your point, when your team is favored heavily, and all of a sudden you're losing, and you go, wait a minute. What's happening here? <laughs> like, how do they? How do they seem to always be in the right place at the right time? Did right. they cheat? I don't know. But back before all this technology, it wasn't like teams weren't doing it. They were just finding <laughs> low impact ways to do it, very rudimentary yeah. ways. But they were still doing it because this, as long as there's been competition and guys getting paid money to play football, there's been room. For, there's been a, a reason to cheat. Now, you just mentioned the draft, and that's an interesting one because for the Bills, Trent McDuffie, Trent McDuffie and the Buffalo Bills, it's an interesting, you, know, you talk about it in your book, the draft and the way date, draft information can be compromised. So John Harbaugh throws a fit ahead of the 2020 draft because it's all supposed to be virtual, it's going to be done over Zoom meetings, and he hates the idea that there's multi-million dollar banks and billion dollar industries that are being compromised on a daily basis by hackers. And he says, how do I know that my stuff is safe? How do I know my franchise's draft data is safe? And everyone kind of laughs at him because they go, "Ah." well, when you think about the Buffalo Bills, everyone knew that the Bills needed a cornerback. Our all-pro corner, Trey White, tore his ACL. He was probably going to be out for the start of the season. So it's fair to assume the rest of the league knew we would want a corner too. 
But it was really frustrating to see that just two picks ahead of the Bills, there's this cornerback, Trent McDuffie, that every Bills fan out there, every analyst is in love with. They think he's one of the best cornerbacks in this entire draft outside of the couple that were taken at the top, uh, Sauce Gardner and some other guys. And you see our conference rival, the Chiefs, trade back into the first round to take him just two picks ahead of us. And... you can get mad. We we all got mad about it. Now the Bills, we take Kyrie Elam, and things go well. Like he's he's playing very good football for us. And you see the videos, and the franchise did a good job of talking up that he was going to be their choice regardless of who took what. <laughs> but at the same time, when you see a move like that, it makes you wonder: Did the Chiefs know something? Did they know that hey, the Bills are absolutely going to take this guy if we don't move up and get him ahead of them? And if they had some information, then acted on it to get the better of the available cornerbacks. So during your research for the book, what were some of the more interesting ways that you found teams stealing other teams' draft information? So first of all, I will say that teams that are consistently or perennial winners, okay, like the Chiefs are today, they gather information on their opponents, including draft information, better than almost everybody else, okay? So that is a consistent that I found in my research. Yeah, when it comes to the draft, so teams are constantly assessing prospects. But while they are assessing prospects, they are constantly assessing other teams' evaluations of the same prospects. So how do they go about doing that? If you're a scout and you're at a college practice or a college game, you're very likely going to be standing next to or seated next to a scout from another professional team. You run in the same same circles over and over and over. You're at the same events, right? You're at the combine together. You're at all these locations together. And naturally, they develop friendships and relationships. Just by shop talk, they're going to be talking about these prospects. Hey, you know, this guy, this guy runs a pretty fast 40. And then that starts the conversation. Oh, yeah, he does run a fast 40, but he drops too many balls and blah, 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 blah. Okay, and it starts that conversation. And what it allows that scout to do is to get a feel for how opponents assess that and other team's feeling of players. And it doesn't stop there. They go back and report that information to headquarters. And it gets entered. And if the team is smart about it, they enter it into a database and they've got a whole entire system of how to do that. And it gets logged. And so when it gets time for the draft, especially the first round, right, they've already got a feel for how their opponents view the prospects. And they know, oh, bills are coming up. They're real high on this cornerback. We know if we want to get them, we've got to draft them before the bills come up, right? Because that's that's a team need which they've also assessed. They've assessed the team needs for all 32 teams. They're able to do that. And the great teams, man, they've got a ton of information. <laughs> the Patriots do this really well, really well also. Not with wide okay? receivers, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's, it's just one of those little things that the teams that are able to win consistently that they do and they do well to get the advantage on the rest of the league. See, and that's what this is all about. It's just little nuanced things behind the scenes that I never, if it hadn't been for your book, I wouldn't even have thought about. And now to to your point, you look at it and you go, okay, so maybe they're not cheating. Maybe some of this falls in that just gray area of like, well, they're going to ask some probing questions. If you're dumb enough to tell me, I'm going to take that home. (laughs) I, yeah. I yeah. listen. I do it professionally sometimes too. I probe our customers and I go, "Hey, we're just talking shop." And I find out all the problems that are going on inside their company. And I go, "Well, we're going to downgrade. <laughs> we're we're going to think about this. We're going to downgrade, or we're going to we're going to put you in a higher risk category. Why? Because, well, I I know that there's trouble, even though you don't. Nobody else seems to know it. I know mm-hmm. it because I found it out through just loose lips sinking ships. Before. I think the the hottest topic right now is the ESPN's uh, Seth Wickersham puts out an article the other day about Dan Snyder. It's a lengthy piece. And in it, they articulate that he (laughs) there's allegations made that he's been actively spying on his fellow owners 
in order to dig up enough dirt to save himself in the event that they did try to force him out of the NFL. Now, this is crazy. This is actual spy work. This is legitimately, I want you to go do in-depth surveillance on my counterparts. It's one of the wildest claims I've ever heard. But obviously, there have been surveillance operations throughout NFL history carried out by one franchise on another. And I'm throughout your book, you kind of talk about some of these things. What was the most interesting or one of the most interesting instances of that over the course of your research for this book? Oh, surveillance. Um, well, I mean, it's gone. It's gone on forever. I mean, it's, teams do it with draft prospects all the time, like scouting out a bar. So I know one team did this with a, with a player where they scouted out a bar because they thought potentially that this prospect had a drinking problem. They put somebody there for like a week just to see how often this player went into it and record basically how many drinks that, that he had. And as a result, um, they took him off the table. They took him off the draft board. They're like, yeah, we're not drafting this guy. And um, he ended up having a major problem. And he, <laughs> yeah. he washed out of the league in like a year. It goes on all the time. It, it goes on. Heck, I mean, this goes as far back as like Vince, you know, Vince Lombardi and George Hallis. You know, they used to keep track of their players all the time. And, and, you know, whether, you know, they themselves would go do it or whether they would use professionals to go do it, it absolutely went on. Uh, George Hallis suspected uh, one of his players of gambling at one point in 1962 and had surveillance put on him. You know, this is this is nothing, nothing new whatsoever. Um, It goes on all the time. Yeah, this coach. You know, I think it's really interesting, you're, you know, owner to owner collection. But, you know, at the coach to coach level, you know, there's been some crazy espionage stories out there. Like, you know, when um, Weeb Eubank left the Browns to go become the Colts, he was the assistant. He was assistant under Paul Brown and the, the Cleveland Browns. He got offered a position to be the Colts head coach. He took it. Paul Brown requested from the NFL commissioner, hey, since Weeb Eubank prepared all of our draft information for this year. Can he at least stick with the Browns until the, the draft is over? And the commissioner said, yes, <laughs> but you know what ultimately apparently happened and what uh, Paul Brown alleges is that, and it, it appears that this is true is that Weeb Eubank was providing the Colts all of the Browns draft targets <laughs> and they were drafting like two positions ahead of them. Right. All of, all of the Browns' picks ahead of time. And so here you've got an instance of an actual spy inside of a team <laughs> providing information to another team. And, and that, that sounds far-fetched and corny, but you know, I can tell you as of you know, extremely recently, you know, this is a concern with all teams of actually having an insider on a team providing information, just like with international espionage of having a Robert Hansen, of having an Aldrich Ames, mm-hmm. you know, providing information, an insider, spying. And it's crazy to think that this could be happening in football, but those are the links that teams are willing to go to to try to get an advantage. So you talk about something like, a, you know, Dan Snyder, is he willing to spy on fellow billionaires to not lose his stake uh, with <sighs> the a- Washington Commanders? Yeah, he probably is. 100%. Yeah. And I think that that's one of my favorite things about this endeavor that you put forth here. Just this unprecedented deep dive into, first of all, the Patriots and proprieties, which we as Bills fans, like, with those, I'm like a dog that found something that smells bad in the yard. I want to roll around it. I want all of it. (laughs) Give it to me. And I'm sure. Bills fans. (laughs) Exactly. And we are the pettiest Bills podcast. So on our listeners, they, they love that stuff. Also, just the other levels of impropriety over the years, just in the pursuit of winning and the lengths that some of these teams are willing to go to, it really is an interesting look into this, the back end of this, the back side of what the NFL is beyond just what goes on in the scoreboard, which we love here. I'm a huge fan of. These things we've talked about tonight are just the tip of the proverbial iceberg. So guys, if you're listening to this podcast and you're 
you care not just about the Patriots, not just about the stuff, but all of this behind, you know, back office stuff, the cloak and dagger stuff that's gone on over the course of the entire history of the NFL. You need to go check out Kevin's book. Kevin, why don't you tell everybody where they can find all of your work, where they can follow you on social media, and what you have coming up. Easiest way to follow me is to go to my website. It's spiesonthesidelines.com. I've got all my social media information there. Uh, I'll push out my Twitter because I know everybody loves Twitter. Kev, K-E-V, Bryant's author. Yeah, on my website, I've got everywhere you can buy the book. You know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million are, you know, some of the big ones. Uh, the book just hit Audible, the audiobook. It is selling for $7.50 right now on Audible because I control the price of that. I want, you know, I want to get as many people as possible being able to review the book while it's still, you know, you know, a relatively new book. You want a great and inexpensive way to grab it. Check it out on Audible. Please give it a review. I would greatly appreciate it. You know, if you're looking for a Christmas present for all your, you know, NFL buddies and family and all that as we start heading into that holiday season, you know, I think this is a really, you know, fun, unique take on the NFL. And I try not to get, I try to make the book fun. And, and, you know, I hope, I hope you found that too, Drew. Oh, you know, 100%. I didn't want this just to be a pointing fingers at everybody. You know, to me, it's a fun topic. Spying's a fun topic, right? And right? I wanted it to come through with that. <laughs> like, as it, it, it genuinely is one of those topics that I think every, I think everybody is interested in, right? It's a topic that everybody wants to know. How did, how did this happen? How, what happened? Can it happen? Can it happen to me? Can it happen to my football team? I'll tell you this. I have coffee table books throughout my house, whether it's on the shelf, on the table itself. Your book sits on my shelf. I'm, I'm proud of it. I tell people about it all the time. Guys, if you're listening to this, make sure you go check it out. This has been a lot of fun getting to talk to you tonight, Kevin. But for tonight, we got to go. We got to get out of here. We've, you've given us enough of your time. For this podcast, I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's Kevin Bryant. And this has been your Rockbound Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.